Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Copper, you know, is a lot of things, but it's no panacea for, for, for bad form right. or for lack of practice or, or other mechanics that, that, that can go into how your gun performs and how you shoot. Welcome to the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike. Today with me is my colleague, Director of Conservation Partnerships for Michigan, Minnesota, and Wisconsin, Jason Dinsmore. He works with me here at the National Wildlife Federation. And we're recording this from our Great Lakes office in Ann Arbor because Jason's in town because, like me, this past weekend, he was up at his family deer camp. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about deer, white-tailed deer, deer hunting, deer camp, deer diseases, deer regulations, all things deer. So if you're not into deer, deer hunting, this is probably not your episode. But if you are, listen up. Uh, Jason, thanks for, for joining me. How's your, uh, how's your deer season going so far? All is good. All is good. You know, not, not to be uh, undersold, I suppose. Uh, for those not interested in deer hunting, I hope you, you tune in because... You know, so many of us who, who enjoy the outdoors cut our teeth deer hunting. Um, you know, the, the, my first time in the woods following my dad and my grandfather was uh, in, their, in, in their boots, oversized as they were, um, you know, chasing after them in the deer woods. And uh, while I've uh, uh, widened my path much, much, much beyond deer hunting these days, uh, I think uh, most of us cut our teeth on the sport. Yeah, and you know, actually, I, I cut my teeth on squirrels, so yes. out, out there in the woods this past weekend, it still takes a lot for me not to put this scope on a squirrel and think, you know what, you know, the deer aren't working out so far, and yeah. that squirrel's chattering and looks really delicious, um, but, I, but I held off, I held off. And, well, you know, knowing you, I'm sure the scope was still on the squirrel, just the finger wasn't on the trigger. <laughs> Safety was off. Uh, <laughs> well, well I'll, I'll say my iron sights, uh, old uh, 1892 Marlin lever action um, for for those this winter. I picked up some uh, some copper some copper uh, 22s. I saw that. I saw that for that. Uh, so hopefully I'll get up after some some squirrels in northern Michigan's public land this winter. Um, but I was just up there uh, this past weekend for for deer camp um, as as well. Um, I know you were up at your family's deer camp, which uh, you've hosted us as well as our Michigan affiliate, Michigan United Conservation Clothes, for a few years now during grouse season. Um, how'd your deer camp go this year? You know, deer camp is great. Deer camp is always a, a fun tradition, you know, get out in the woods with friends and family. Um, you know, obviously, it, it's, a, it's a well-worn tradition here in, Mich- in Michigan. Um, you know, I think our camp was probably a lot like everyone else's. Everyone's getting a little older, a little longer in the tooth, a little grayer. Um, and we've lost a number of, of, you know, family members either, you know, aging out or just life catching up, um, over the years. And so, uh, what, what, what was maybe, you know, five, six of us has whittled down to two or three. Um, and I think 
uh, emblematic of, of all things hunting sports. You know, it's, it's incumbent upon us to, to make sure we're bringing that next generation along, which is in the works. <laughs> my, my, my sons are not quite old enough, but getting close. Um, but no, it was a great camp. Uh, you know, it's always good to be, kind of come home to Michigan, uh, you know, down in Minnesota. Uh, I really look forward to, to this time to, to be in the woods with, with friends and family. Um, did you have any success? Yeah, well, it's it loaded term, right? Um, <laughs> but you know, I, I did. I did have a chance to pull the trigger. Uh, you know, I, I was seeing deer um, pretty early on Saturday, uh, kind of watching stuff come through, trying to find my shots. Uh, I was able to take a doe uh, Sunday, Saturday afternoon, uh, so the second day of season. Um, put some meat in the freezer and then hunt harder for for something with antlers. But uh, that never happened. But uh, at least I got the doe in the freezer. What What were you shooting for that? Um, that was, uh, I had my 7mm with me, so 7mm Remington Magnum, uh, and uh, using Barnes uh, TSX loaded uh, Federal Premium Ammunition. Okay. Um, I, I, was, uh, I was similarly set up with a, not a 7mm uh, Magnum, but a 7mm 08 mm -hmm. uh, Weatherby Vanguard, um, with, also with uh, um, Federal Premium uh, Copper Ammunition for that too. I did not get to pull the trigger. I was uh, <laughs> I was still hunting out of our out of our uh, deer camp up in the Pigeon River Country State Forest. Um, over four days, I, I saw four deer. Um, the first two I I've bumped, so they were running away, and I don't take running shots. Mm -hmm. um, but man, I got the drop on Sunday on on two does, and um, you know normally I, I hunt when I'm still hunting, carrying my gun horizontally. Um, at the ready. I, at the ready. Um, but, you know, it starts to get tired after a while. And, you know, I'll put it up and I'll sling it over my shoulder for a little bit. And, of course, it was at that moment mm -hmm. that it came out. Just this appeared uh, like apparitions yeah, out of yeah. nowhere in the forest, which which is one of the things I love about deer in the mist. Deer hunting. Yeah. <laughs> but still, you know, with, with the cover being still, I was able to um, pull a gun off my shoulder, ready it, aim it had the doe in my sights safety off about to take that breath and pull the trigger and i just had this like last second like nagging thought wait is that a button buck let me check to make sure it's not and i should have known just from the size of the deer it wasn't but just that that split second of hesitation they blew they're mm -hmm. gone they're running up the hill you know I, I tried to loop around up up the hill around and maybe i could Maybe they mm -hmm. blew and started walking and I could catch them on the backside and then see them again. And that was, you know, when you're still hunting and you only have a couple of days, you kind of get that one chance and sure. you either take advantage of it or you're, you're going home meatless. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a good problem. You saw a deer, you know, <laughs> you had a good time in the, in the woods, you know, you had a chance to hang out with your, your dad and brother and, and others at the camp. Um, you know, you bring up a good point as far as, you know, kind of, you know, one of those tenants of gun safety, just the certainty of target. You know, and, and not only were you making certain things behind it were, were in, in good order, but also the animal itself, what you were hoping to, to pull the trigger on was what you wanted it to be. And that's that's something that, that, that uh, I think can't get instilled enough. Uh, you know, just looking over the news reports, you know, clippings over the last couple of weekends uh, here. Yeah. Um, the, the unfortunate incidences of, of gun safety mishaps, you know, just, uh, you know, People either putting uh, cased uh, or casing loaded guns and having them uh, fire, you know, accidentally. But you know, the gun's doing what it's supposed to do. Some something pulled the trigger and it's it's firing. And it's up to us as, as the users of those tools to make sure that they're used in a proper manner. 
you know, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if that's happening more often now, or if those incidents are getting wider media attention now than, than they that. ever have. Yeah. But, but, but it doesn't make the, every time that happens, it doesn't make the community look good. I'm sorry. No. Of course, it's a tragedy for the individuals involved. I, I don't know what it's going to take for, for hunters to hunker down. And while it's, while gun safety is widespread, I mean, let's face it, we, well, and, and we don't know the final numbers from this year, but last year there were half a million deer hunters in Michigan. Right. So when you have half a million deer hunters, um, you know, and, and you have a handful of incidents, the percentage is pretty low. But each one of those is tragic. Each one sure. of those each one of those has a name attached to it. Each one yeah. of those has, you know, a story behind it that, that unfortunately, you know, met with some manner of tragedy. And, and uh, that's, I think the, the biggest lesson of all that is it's preventable. You know, at the end of the day, with, with, with good gun safety, with, with good background, with, with good, you know, knowledge and intent, you know, those things don't happen. Uh, and so, you know, and you, what you hate to hear more and more is just uh, when, when kids are involved, obviously, you know, mm-hmm. I think one of them was uh, a gentleman who put in putting a loaded firearm in a, in, a, in a case and shot through a wall of his own home and, and yeah. injured two of his children. Yeah, you hate to hear that, too, is obviously you know, any type of innocent bystanders. But any type of any time this happens, you know, just knowing that it's preventable, knowing that we need to do all we can within our community, self-policing and making sure that we're doing all we can individually to uh, to, to, to not do that to others, obviously. Um. A little bit lighter of a subject yeah. <laughs> matter, when, but but along the same lines of self policing, you know, we both talked about how we're both using copper ammunition. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been using it for quite a while. Only this is only my second year using it. I didn't switch until actually I came to work here at the National Wildlife Federation. Started reading all of our resolutions on why we encourage hunters mm-hmm. to use non-lead ammunition and the reasons why and you came to the right side force <laughs> yeah well you know and and i'll be honest and that's why i i have a lot of understanding for hunters that are reluctant to switch um i wasn't reluctant to switch it had just frankly never occurred to me mm-hmm. i had never you know it, it had never entered my thought process of why I should switch from lead to copper until I read about it, until I became aware of it. And so I always say that, you know, if it's okay if you haven't heard about this and you haven't switched yet. There's no blame on you. You didn't know. Right. But now you've heard us talk about it and now you know. Now you got to yep. check it out. Yep. Um, but you've been using it for, for years and years. Um, how long have you been using copper ammunition and hmm. why did you start using it? What's your experience been with it? So I started using copper, oh, it's, it's been almost... It was just before I came to NWF, so probably a little more than eight years, okay. you know, eight to ten years now, uh, when, when Barnes, uh, which is one of the major, by no means the only, but one of the major manufacturers of copper ammunition out there, um, started becoming more available, you know, as far as, uh, you know, in the stores, different different loadings, different uh, availability for components, and that was only reloading. Uh, they weren't doing factory ammunition at that time. Um, I was a reloader, uh, okay. no longer, <laughs> no longer the time for it, unfortunately. Before kids, right? uh, Yes, before yeah. kids, before wife, you know, well, I guess I was married at the time, but still, uh, before kids, regardless. Um, and, uh, you know, the reason I went to it was was actually, you know, knowing that, um, you know, just reading up on, on things like lead toxicity, uh, you know, I, I did a lot of wildlife disease not necessarily research, but using research in a policy platform, uh, both in my previous occupation you know, as, a, as, a, as a lobbyist here in Michigan for, for MECC and as a policy uh, analyst for them, in addition to my work here at National Wildlife Federation, 
transforming you know, kind of education and background research into policy, um, coming across more and more research on lead toxicity, not only in, in wildlife, but also in humans. Um, and uh, the way I, I turned on to lead was not necessarily from a pure wildlife perspective, but just knowing that my goal anytime I harvest an animal is, is turning that into food. And knowing that uh, so much of that, you know, going from, from farm to table, going from field to table, is, is that, that ethically not only is it harvested in an ethical manner, but also that, that you're providing the most organic, the most kind of free range, in addition to healthiest perspective of, of, of protein. Um, lead doesn't really factor into any of those equations. Right. right. <laughs> and, and, and so I was, you know, from, a, from a more of a food safety perspective, uh, changing over to copper. Um, I'm happy to, to, to see now that, that Barnes and many others um, are producing factory loaded ammunition. Um, I no longer reload. <laughs> you don't reload. And, right, and yet, right. you know, going to the local sporting goods store, mine in Minnesota, yours here in Michigan, uh, we're able to find uh, readily available, over the counter, uh, reasonably priced, and, and very effective uh, ammunition options. Well, and, and I'll be honest, the, the sporting goods store that um, I, I prefer to use, I, I can find copper ammunition for um, the Model 70s, the 30 out 6s. That I have, but I generally prefer because you know I still hunt. I'm moving around mm-hmm. a lot. I've got a composite stock, uh, Weatherby Vanguard carbon. Sure. So you know it's lightweight. Uh, it's Shorter seven, barrel, seven easier mil- in the woods. Yep, yep. seven millimeter 08. It's a tack driver, um, but I couldn't find yeah. that ammunition. It's not quite as as popular of a caliber, right. obviously, as a 30 out mm-hmm. six. Um, but I was able to order through uh, Bass Pro Shops online. Okay. Living in Michigan, you can order online. Nice. I yes. know not all states you can, but I was able to order ammunition online, both for that, for my dad's 243, for my cousin's 270. I was actually able to outfit all of our deer camp this oh, year yeah. with copper ammunition. Um, <laughs> Did we and... give you a raise? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It's You know, when, when we do deer camp, and, and maybe yours is the same, like everybody contributes a little oh, yeah. something different, yep. you know? So... My, my brother actually bought the uh, Cabela's Outfitter tent that we all use. Oh, we very to, nice. We used to have this old Montana canvas on, which makes a great well, canvas. Well, buying tent. that, you got off easy buying the ammunition. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we, we had this old uh, 12 by 20 Montana canvas tent, but it was used. Okay. And it hadn't really been taken care of, put away wet, that dry kind of stuff. Yeah. And one year, my brother's business is doing okay, and he just shows up with his brand new Cabela's Outfitter very nice tent and uh okay so that's his contribution you know my <laughs> mom will buy food for all of us oh, yeah. that's my dad's contribution my cousin actually uh does screen printing as a side gig so he'll do up t-shirts you know let's say our, our deer oh, camp cool. on it um yeah, everybody kind of chips in on food and and so when i said okay well i'll i'll supply all the ammo and, that's great and for my dad and brother's guns i you know cited them in and made sure they were um mm-hmm. you know dead on of course uh and, and so that was my contribution. But I, I kind of had the ulterior motive of offering right. that to make sure we're all using copper as well. No, that, that's amazing. You raise a really good point as far as availability. You know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. You know, the, the calibers I shoot more often than not for big game, you know, at six, 30 at six or the 7 millimeter mag or um, more widely available. And mm-hmm. so as, as you radiate out from there into the less common or, or more boutique rounds, and not to say that the 7 millimeter at is boutique, but it's still less common than 30 out 6. Though we still like to think of it as like a wildcat round, <laughs> right. even though it's been made commercially yeah, exactly. since like 80. But <laughs> exactly. You know, you're, you're, you're going to find, find some of those problems. I'm, yeah. I'm sure that in, until manufacturing kind of catches up to that and, and supply catches up to that as well, you know, I face the same thing in some of my upland bird 
you know, mm-hmm. chamberings and loads. Um, obviously not rifling long and moving over to shotgun, but you know, I shoot a 16 gauge. You know, my, my side by side is a 16 gauge, and that's something that that you aren't going to find normal rounds for 16 gauge on the shelf very often in some of those stores. Definitely not non-toxic, and unless it's something more specialized for you know three inch. I need just a two and three quarter for an old 16 gauge uh, that that's going to be bismuth or some other type of non-toxic. Um, I've got to order that same as you. You know, yeah. I ordered that online. It, it's it's readily available, and as long as you ordered a couple boxes at a time, it's usually free shipping. Um, yeah. And you know, once again, you got to plan ahead. <laughs> and, and, and that's the thing. I yeah. you know I, I I I did this you know, boy, at least a month ago. You know, maybe a little yep. bit more. Uh, just to make sure I had time, and then you've also got to plan for when do I have time to get mm-hmm. to the range and make sure that you know find out where the slightly different zero that it might have right. than the previous ammunition. Obviously, if you're you know shooting a, a 140 grain uh, copper bullet, right. that's going to have a slightly different zero than you yeah. know the 130 lead oh, yeah. bullet that I might have been using before. Well, the, the ballistic yeah. coefficients can be different. Right. Just just the, the the size for calibers can be a little bit different as far as length. Uh, just to get that same weight out of a copper right. is going to Kind of perform differently than lead, just like any of the other metals. And, and differently, you know. but but not worse. I think that's where one of those misconceptions comes in. You know, I think there's probably some folks that might you know buy that first box of copper ammo mm-hmm. and take it to the range, and they're you know they've been zeroed in on this spot with their regular lead right. cartridge. Now they're using a different one, and it's off. Mm-hmm. And somebody might think, man, that's that ammunition. No, you got to re-zero for that new ammunition and, and look at where your right. groupings are. And what I found was my seven millimeter 08, you know, I shot with a 30 out, I shot with this. I'm like, what am I going to use, boy, shooting? Mm-hmm. You know, the for, for me, it was a one, 140 grain seven millimeter 08 loads, just the way they were shooting, the way they were grouping. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I'm using this one this year. <laughs> nice. <laughs> well, you know, copper, you know, is a lot of things, but it's no panacea for, for, for bad form right. or for lack of practice or or other mechanics that, that, that can go into how your gun performs and how you shoot. Um, you know, the, the, when you hit the spot you're trying to hit, you know, when, when, you're, when you're doing your job, it's gonna do the same job that any, any lead-based ammunition is gonna do, but it's not gonna solve other problems. And so, um, you know, back from my reloading days, you know, I mm-hmm. remember there was, you know, dozens, any number of opportunities or options uh, for a 223 or whatever caliber you may choose to shoot. Um, you know, you just got to figure out for individual copper chamberings and, 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 and opportunities in your in your caliber. Um, you know, making sure you find the one that shoots right with your gun, just like you would with lead ammunition. And and you know, we've talked about a lot about you know the specific chamberings and and that kind of thing. You know how it performs, and I think that the way that more hunters are going to adopt this is is by seeing the. Mm-hmm superiority of the way that it performs because when we're talking about copper generally we're talking about premium ammunition yes um and so you can't really compare it price wise to you know your kind of bargain basement ammunition your white box if you're going to compare it price wise you have to compare it to other premium mm-hmm. ammunition um but the reason that we're doing this and the reason that that i switched coming to the wildlife federation by uh, you did just before that um in addition to the performance was to avoid the the impacts to wildlife. And I think similar to some of those hunting accidents, although I say there's no accidents, there's only things that we should have prevented Mm -hmm. by listening to the very first thing we're taught in hunter safety. But um, moving on from that to why we switched to copper, the other thing we keep seeing, and, and again, I'm not sure if it's happening more often or if every time it happens, it's getting wider 
press play, more headlines out of it, is every time we see an eagle mm-hmm. poisoned by lead, it seems like it happens every time around this year during firearm deer season. Uh, you see the reports out of the Rapper Center at the University of mm-hmm. of Minnesota. Um, you see them at, at the at the Recovery Center in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw one recently at the Chocolate uh, Raptor Center up in uh, Marquette, hmm. um, and that was they suspected from fishing tackle, but. We, we see these impacts of lead on wildlife, particularly loons with fishing tackle, and especially mm-hmm. in our region, at least, Minnesota, uh, Wisconsin, Michigan. We tend to see those impacts with bald eagles. You know, here in Michigan, you know, I think hunters sometimes say, well, you know, it, it happens. But that's not what non-hunters say. That's not what the rest sure. of the state says. Mm-hmm. What kind of reaction do you get where where you live in Minnesota when those type of articles hit? It, it's interesting, you know. You know, Minnesota is unique in that you know we have both uh, the bald and the golden eagles. You know, golden eagles are coming through on, on a bit of more of a migration up and down the Mississippi. Um, you know, much like Michigan, you know, our, our bald eagles are our year-round residents, although they do some some little bit of uh, micro migrations within the state, uh, but stick close to the to the big water. Um, you know, we, we've got a lot of them. Yeah, you, know, you know, honestly, you know, they've done an amazing job. And I say they, as as the states, as the federal mm-hmm. partners, as, as as the local partners in recovery, you know, from the '70s on, um, and they've exploded. And so um, we have, um, I think, with with that many eagles around, we kind of become more numb, maybe, to to the. The recovery efforts that are still underway with a lot of birds of prey uh, that uh, just because, you know, I see them on a daily basis. You know, I know our, our, my colleagues in Minnesota see them on a daily basis. We have eagle nests in our backyards. We have, um, and, and so I, I don't think it, it probably hits us the same as it does in Michigan uh, or, well, other, even, or other areas where people don't necessarily see them as often. Well, even um, here in Ann Arbor, um, there was one uh, about a month or so ago that was sighted on the Huron River. Oh, yeah. It's great to see, and it's great that you've seen that expansion occur. It's great that you've seen those rebounds occur. So I think it hits differently uh, in different communities based on kind of what's around and what's available to them. Um, obviously, loon. Um, I'm not sure if it's truly. Our st- I think it is the Minnesota state bird. You know, okay. you see that Min- you know, the Minnesota lottery is the loon logo. The um, uh, the loon is kind of ubiquitous in Minnesota for Northwoods. Um, I'm sure similar to here in Michigan, but. Um, you know that one seems to hit harder. Um, I think because of that 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 state bird, you know, kind of implication and and um, you do see a backlash um, in, in some manner. Uh, what you'll see also is you'll see petitions that was that was just filed this this year uh, seeking the to to ban uh, use of lead in both hunting and, and fishing. Um, you'll see resurgence of that on an annual basis. So those discussions popping up with DNR, with legislators, with others, uh, seeking solutions. Um, and I think those discussions are great. I think that it, it's important that we look at what's happening around us and kind of help spurn uh, debate and discussion to, to determine how best to, to kind of solve any, any individual problem. And, and I think in Minnesota and in Michigan, I think that those debates are good. I think that they're ongoing. Well, and, and at the national level, folks um, should know, and, and I should reiterate that we are not pushing for regulation or ban when we talk about this from National mm-hmm. Wildlife Federation. Correct. We're encouraging you as a hunter, as an angler, to voluntarily, on your own, choose to use non-lead alternatives. But I think that you're right is that as you see more headlines and, and I do think there is more headlines because there are more of these incidents and that's actually because there are more eagles 
Mm-hmm. You know, we I often see the comment, man, we've been using lead for years. It hasn't been a problem. Yeah, well, you know, eagles were on the endangered species list before. There weren't that many of them. Um, they're recovered now. Um, there's more of them. There's more of them on the landscape. It means they're more likely to come into contact with the gut pile that you left from your deer than they were a few years ago because there's more of them out there. And so those incidents are still going to occur. And it's still our responsibility as hunters. And this kind of goes back to those quote-unquote accidental shootings is we have to be aware and cognizant of what's behind our target in space we're always taught that right you got to know your target and what's behind it but we also need to understand what's behind our target in time and that's what happens with these eagles is you might leave your gut pile out there it's got some lead fragments it only takes a couple lead fragments in some cases to poison an eagle that ends up it's it's obviously bad for the wildlife itself we don't want to do that as as ethical hunters we don't want to harm non-target wildlife but that's a bad look for hunters and that ends up on the headline and that's when you face these kind of calls of petitions from different groups seeking bans and restrictions, you get that because these incidents are occurring. And that's kind of the question of, we can't deny that these incidents are occurring. That's a fact, they just are. But we can control how we approach that. Now, as we're advocating for voluntary approaches, understand one of the benefits of adoption of this voluntary approach is that if more hunters and anglers do change over and, and do that voluntarily, there will be fewer of these incidents and you have fewer groups calling for those type of bands. Sure. Um, that's one of those things that us as a hunting and fishing community policing ourselves can, can stave off some of those more strict restrictions, but that requires us actually as a community having more widespread adoption of the, of the non-lead alternatives so that we have fewer of these incidents. Yeah, and, and manufacturing process seems to be catching up a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, we mentioned before the the that's more available on the shelves, if you will. Uh, and there's always a chicken or an egg kind of yeah. conundrum there. You know, as far as you know, manufacturing goes, is, is it manufacturing that's driving demand or is demand driving manufacturing? And and you know, right now there seems to be more you know kind of demand amongst our groups, amongst uh, kind of uh, wildlife professionals and, and, and individual enthusiasts out there that that uh, hopefully that they're going to start providing more options for us as as hunters as sportsmen and women and um you know that will then in turn you know kind of spurn more adoption more use uh more widespread use where we aren't going to have necessarily nearly as much lead in the environment just voluntarily you know uh, when when i you know post or share an article about non-lead alternatives i'm surprised by how many people within my kind of hunting cohort folks that i know either from previous jobs or events or you know you accumulate your cold heart or your network right and i'm surprised by how many people say oh yeah i've been using it for years um now i don't want to pretend that you know my cohort isn't extremely conservation focused right Right. my i've kind of developed my cohort from you know members of backcountry hunters and anglers other people who work you know for national wildlife federation or affiliates individuals right right so i mean we're talking about hunters and anglers who are involved either on a volunteer professional level with conservation organizations Mm -hmm. for the most part um but still a lot more than than i would expect that just voluntarily said not hey i'll try it but hey i've been using it for Mm -hmm. years um and and that's kind of encouraging to see i think as we see that become more widespread 
we will see a, a, a response from industry to make it more widely available. As you have it more widely available, you're going to see those prices come down too when it's sure. not at such a rare find on the shelf, right? <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, you know, and I think you, know, you made the point earlier about you know, kind of comparing apples to apples. Um, you know, I don't think any of us are going to compare. Um, you know. The, the the cheapest you know you pick your college beer <laughs> whatever whatever it may have been back in the day um, you know I, I God, Pabst yeah, I think was 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 mine you know yeah, that, bush, that that's bush for us, I think. that yeah. steel reserve um, you know you, you're not going to compare that to the microbrew that you're, you're buying today right. um, you know you look at just consumer demands and 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 the explosion of the microbrew industry I don't think anyone's thinking that Bud Light's com- you know out there to to, to compete with with uh, something that's coming out of uh, Grand Rapids or, or what have it. Um, you know, I'm thinking Bells, you know, <laughs> what have it. Uh, I know it's not Grand Rapids, regardless. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, same thing with, 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 with some of the Copper Bolts opportunity, opportunity, all of it's coming in premium ammunition. And so I, I understand that. I think the industry understands that at some point we're going to have to stratify that, that a little bit so that you have a lower cost availability of Copper while still offering a premium product. Yeah. Um, you know, so there's, there's going to be a need for that. You know, I remember growing up, we, you know, we didn't buy premium ammunition. You, you bought the, the Remington core locked, yep. uh, PowerPoint plus <laughs> green in, in the green box, green, uh, green and yellow box. And it was, you know, I think like 10 bucks at Meyer, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. And the know. same box might last yeah. many, many years. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. It, and, and really, if you're thinking about going out to deer camp, you know, you can, you can't really say that you can't for the premium ammunition if you're buying the premium beer. Right. Well, and then you know, think about what's that, really, that was the analogy I was trying to think about what's really important. You yeah. know, uh, to to your deer <laughs> hunting, right? And and you know, it, look, look, we're not we're not advocating like yeah. drinking and and um, no. firearms combining. But you know, at deer camp after the hunt is over, yeah, some folks have some beers and play some cards. But you can get the premium ammunition in the cheap beer. <laughs> well, and, and that, that will kind of send a, lot, a strong message about, I think, uh, where your priorities lie in deer hunting. Right? I, I think that was my inartful analogy was just the yeah. fact that you know, in, in each of the things that we do, we, we determine you know, what are, where our values are, whether we value the you know the, the more premium product or the, or the less one because we can get away with it, or for whatever reason it suits our needs better at the time. I think I think my my argument would be that my hope would be that that my colleagues, my cohorts, and, and my fellow sports people in the woods. Uh, would would value both their health, their children's health, and as well as you know the healthy environment around them by by choosing uh, to, to to shoot copper. Well, and, and and for me, in addition to reading those um, resolutions that our state affiliates have passed over the years, encouraging the use of non-lead ammunition, and understanding that from the wildlife perspective, the way that I hunt, still hunting on public mm-hmm. land, my opportunities are very few and far between. Um, it's been a couple years since I got a deer mm-hmm. uh, during firearm season. It was a nice three and a half year old eight point, but it's been a couple of years because when you still hunt, those opportunities, as I was describing earlier today, you make it harder on yourself. So when you get that opportunity, you don't want anything going wrong. You know, this year I went wrong because I hesitated too much. Um, but when I take that shot, I want to know that that's not what that that's not what's going to go wrong. You know, so to me, it's worth it to get that premium ammunition so that those rare opportunities that come along when I'm using the method that I prefer to use for a variety of reasons, when that opportunity comes along, 
I want the best product. Sure. Making sure that that's not the part that, that goes wrong. Well, you got to be careful with marketing because you're, you're really close to Heavy Shots tagline. You know, I didn't come for this far to miss or whatever it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> whatever it's called. It's, it goes to that same analogy, you know, same discussion about just preparedness. Yeah. You know, when, when and, and I, 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 I rail my dad on this one, you know, so, you know, because he's, he's the type, you know, growing up, he was the type that you might shoot your gun once a year. And it's like the day before opening day. <laughs> <laughs> yep. and, and, then, and then you're heading to the field. You, you have no idea as far as equipment. You have no idea as far as your, your gun, yourself. You know, are you in shape for it? Uh, are you ready for it? Are you ready for the hunt? Are you ready to experience what you need to do in the field in addition to getting that animal out of the field? You know, my, my dad is, is classic in this where, where he doesn't necessarily do any of that stuff. And, 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 and I'll typically get to camp with him and, 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 and at that point read him the riot act. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and so it goes right to, it goes back to that you know typically for those of us who are whether it's carrying a bow or carrying a gun you know we're gonna make sure we're proficient with that you know we're gonna make sure that our equipment is ready for the day we're, you know as far as our scopes as far as our other optics you know our, our, our packs what we're packing into the field um, and, and, and bullets are no different you know what, what you're choosing to put in that firearm is, is, is just as important as what's sitting on top of it in way of optics or anything else and so you want to know when you pull that trigger not only is that bullet going to go where it's supposed to go it's going to perform the way it needs to perform and that's going to be the expansion. That's going to be, you know, kind of the reliability of it. And obviously, you know, that, that's one thing you do get from a premium ammunition is, is, is that reliability. Uh, but also it comes with, with practice. You know, any, any, any bullet, any, any platform, you're going to want to make sure you take it to the field and, and, and really get proficient with it. You know, there's something else that, that has been going on in the Michigan deer season this year, too. And when you talked about your your apples to apples comparison, I think that's what reminded me of this. Oh yeah. Um, in, in Michigan, we have a new bait band. Apple knockers. Apple knockers, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I think it's important to talk about this because I, I I don't think there's a bigger controversy going on in hunting in Michigan, and I think it's a it's a it's a touch point that's relevant for any state dealing with CWD. I know Wisconsin went through this a few years ago. Um, you know, how we manage CWD, chronic wasting disease, and states that have it, um, how we balance reducing the, the risk and speed of the spread of the disease um, with hunter opportunity to take more deer um, ha- has really been a lightning rod. And I don't, I don't think this year has been any hotter than right here in Michigan. Um, the Natural Resources Commission passed the bait ban over a year ago mm-hmm. in 2018, and they did that not going into effect in 2018, but not until this year to give both the farmers who grew it and uh, hunters who used it uh, at least a year to adapt and figure out their plan for this year. Um, but now that it's, it's gone through, we've seen a flurry of legislative activity of the Michigan legislature trying to go around the professional wildlife biologist recommendations at the DNR and actually take away the ability of the Natural Resources Commission um, to regulate bait. And, and it's been a touch point here in Michigan because it's not just about baiting and it's not really just about CWD. Um, because back in 1996, Michigan voters, and this was led by um, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, which is NWF's Michigan affiliate and actually uh, the former employer for both Jason and I, although at different times, so we, we through our time there, we know all about Proposal G, even though it was passed after both of us or before both of us worked there. Um, but what this says is that the Michigan voters, by two thirds majority, said we want rather than politicians and the legislature making wildlife management decisions, we want 
professional wildlife biologists making those decisions through the Natural Resources Commission, which is a citizens commission. Um, and that's been the, the, the status quo for almost 30 years now. And really before that, but that's where it was really memorialized. Um, and now the legislature is trying to go around that. Jason, you have a lot of experience both with the Natural Resources Commission, with that system, with the history of it. Mm-hmm. Um, why is that so dangerous for politicians to be trying to make wildlife management decisions contrary to professional wildlife biologists? Well, you know, nothing happens in a vacuum, right? Uh, and, and one of the, the concerns, you know, both of the citizenry as well as those who, who brought Proposal G forward back in the, the mid-90s uh, was that, honestly, wildlife decisions, you know, decisions that are good for wildlife, good for people that use wildlife, good for people that enjoy wildlife, aren't always popular. <laughs> and, and, and not only that, but we didn't necessarily want uh, the, the, the health of our you know, wild deer herds, wild turkey, whatever else may have been that's falling under DNR control and, and, and uh, oversight, we didn't want them to be left to the whims of any political majority. Um, you know, I don't think it's appropriate to be horse trading uh, on, on the backs of, of a healthy deer herd. Uh, and, and I think that uh, at the time it was bear, uh, you know, bear baiting was, was the major issue and bear hunting and, and the, some of the, the techniques and methodologies back then uh, that really brought Proposal G and, and the, the corollary was Proposal D that we voted down. Right. I, say, I say we as in Michigan voters. I was too young to vote at the time. I was only 16. Yep. I think you were too probably, weren't you? Or, I was, we're the same age. Class yeah, 90, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah we're so, the same age. <laughs> um, regardless. The, the, the last year of Gen X, I like to point yes, out. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, I, I, I wear that proudly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think we share a, a, a mutual, you know, regardless, yes. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, that that's the biggest thing is, is really a, a disdain for for some of the political horse trading that, that occurs when it, when it comes time to, to, to debate and discuss at the time uh, the health of our wild herds uh, and a need to return to a science-based methodology under the North American Wildlife Conservation Model um, and, and others that, 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 that were producing good results around the U.S. Uh, to, to bring that home to Michigan. Um, it worked well. It, it still works well. Uh, I, I think this is, this is a battle that, um, once again, uh, as I said before, nothing exists in a vacuum. It's not only baiting that, that that's really on the table here. Um, it, it, it's a bit of a, you know, the, what the horse's nose in the tent, the camel's nose in the tent, whatever the yep. analogy is, where, um, yeah, I, I'm really concerned if, if, if this is taken, what's next? And not only a slippery slope, but just, you know, there, there, there's no reason for it. At the end of the day, um, you look at our neighbors, you look at others who are dealing with chronic waste and disease. I think the... Um, the, the worst case scenarios aren't too far from us. They're, they're, they're a border away. <laughs> when you look at what's happening in Wisconsin, what, what Wisconsin has endured the, since 2002 and the, when they first found chronic waste and disease or first tested positive, um, really the spirals downward, not only in, in, in hunting participation, but also just the cost that spiraled up you know, and, and, and the amazing amount of cost being borne by their DNR. Um, well, and, and let, let's be really clear here because when people say let's learn from the lessons from what Wisconsin did or didn't do. The mistake Wisconsin made was not in, in first trying to enact control measures to actually control the spread of disease. The mistake was in abandoning those efforts in the, in the mm-hmm. face of some pushback from you know certain segments of the hunting population. And that's the point that's that true. we see ourselves now when people say don't follow 
you know, that Michigan shouldn't follow Wisconsin's example. That's the point that we're at now. We've adopted some measures that, that wildlife biologists, that frankly, the Association of Fish and Wildlife Agencies, which is literally all of the DNRs of all the states getting together, um, you know, agree. And, and there's, there's abundant scientific studies um, showing that link between baiting the artificial congregation of cervids and the spread of wildlife disease. And now we're at that point where we've instituted that ban on baiting for that purpose, recommended by, by wildlife biologists and actually Kelly Straka, the chief veterinarian for the DNR, gave an impassioned um, testimony against this bill in the, in the Senate committee. I actually testified there along with um, Amy Trotter, executive director of our um, affiliate, the Michigan United Conservation Clubs. And to hear her defense and, and how much she cares about the deer herd and you have the, the chief veterinarian, you have um, a wildlife biologist um, who, who really knows her stuff, almost be completely disregarded by, by the Senate committee because the Senate majority leader says, well, you know, I hunted deer one time and I saw some deer congregating, so I know better. Um, that kind of anecdotal, um, you know, observation from one guy one time overriding uh, the years of experience of professional wildlife biologists who spend their careers working on this, I think is is where that danger lies. You know, anytime that we substitute our own individual personal observation that is limited to our own personal experience and the time and place that happened, and try to substitute that for mm-hmm. wildlife biologists who, who are studying the collective experiences of multiple people and the wildlife itself, I think is where we run into trouble. Um, that's why even though when I was up in deer camp, we, there, there seemed to be a lot fewer camps on the roads up in the, in the state forest where, where we set up our deer camp. And, and, and we kind of speculate, we're worried, is that because of the bait ban? Um, and and yeah. maybe it is, but I also don't want to make that broad generalization because the few-mile few block where I hunt just happen to have a few fewer <laughs> deer camps than there normally are, right? Yeah. Like that observation is limited to our specific area and experience. Um, so we'll wait for the numbers to come out. Yeah, it's it's too early to draw too many distinctions there. Um, you know, I I sympathize I sympathize with you know you know the the hunters who are impacted by this. You know, I grew up hunting in northeastern Lower Peninsula in in the TB zone. You know, DMU okay. four fifty two. Um, you know, not too far from from Hawks was the I guess the closest town that our hunting camp used to be located at. Um, you know, my grandparents had since sold that off, unfortunately, but. Um, you know, I, I, that, that's where I cut my teeth deer hunting, and that was that, that that's right in club country. You know, yeah. that, that that is for the Lower Peninsula at least. That that was the epicenter for for baiting, uh, for a lot of the things that, that were occurring through the the seventies and eighties, uh, as far as hunt camp development, and that was also the epicenter for tuber- bovine tuberculosis. You know, bovine TB. Yeah. That the first you know real bait bans that occurred uh, in the in the state uh, in the uh, mid nineties. Um, were, were, you know, mid to late nineties were located there. And that was kind of the, the start of uh, some of these discussions about, you know, artificial congregation of animals, what, what type of relationship is there between baiting and the spread of disease? Um, you know, I, I put feeding right there with it. You know, yep. it's not just baiting, it's baiting and feeding. Uh, and so, you know, any type you, you artificially congregate animals, you know, cervids among them, uh, you're going to have an increased rate, risk of communicable disease occurring. Um, and, you know, this disease is, 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 you know, chronic wasting disease is a little different than many others, but it is communicable. You know, it does animal to animal, tra- in addition to animal to environment to animal. Um, and, and so, 
Yeah, I sympathize with those who, who grew up hunting, who learned how to hunt uh, behind a pile of carrots or beets or corn or whatever it may be, um, having to change. It's a hard change to yeah. make. Uh, you know, I, I've moved to Minnesota since then. Uh, Minnesota's never had baiting, to my knowledge. Uh, it is illegal to bait in Minnesota for, for to hunt deer. Uh, and so that they have an entire system of, of hunting and tradition of hunting that, that is different than ours here. And well, I think Well and that's probably a good chance for, for folks from other states and you know, Jason and I are both from Michigan, so mm-hmm. when we start talking about this we kinda understand what we we mean. But if you're from a different state, you probably have different hunting traditions in your state. In Michigan, um, especially in northern Michigan, baiting has just been part of what people have grown up with. I mm-hmm. think uh, in DNR studies, about 50% of Michigan hunters in past seasons have used bait, about 50%, and more as you go north and about 80% mm-hmm. in the UP, where most of the UP you still can. There's a CWZ zone where you can't, but it's a lower peninsula where it's been banned com- completely. Um, so, so it is a change. And actually, club country. Um, this is a complete uh, uh, aside. You got here. a tangent for us? I, I got a tangent. I got a squirrel I got to chase. Um, the Sporting Club is one mm-hmm. of the first novels by Tom Again. And um, it's a fictionalized account of uh, uh, one of the traditional you know, sporting clubs in club country mm-hmm. in Michigan. Um, that, that's just a great read. It's a novel, um, but it kind of gives you that, that sense, at least from a... Um, from his perspective, at least, sure. uh, of, of kind of what those clubs were like. So complete tangent, right. but, but but really part of the tradition of, of Michigan deer hunting. Um, but also not the only tradition. You know, my, you know, I, I, I told you earlier off off air. You know, my my dad's who taught me how to still hunt, and he learned to still hunt sure. with my grandpa. And that used to be the tradition even before baiting. Right. You know, and well, people baiters used to get teased going over the bridge. They called them apple knockers, you know, and, and, and they they they'd rip them all 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 sorts of ways for for bringing bait and, up and to the peninsula. Eighty percent, right? Yes, but, yeah. But some of us still yeah. still hunt. And actually, my dad is sixty eight years old. As he'll say, probably about 50, 60 pounds heavier than he ought to be. He went out we still all? hunting. Like I think he covered like four miles. Yeah. And and understand like when you still hunt, like you you go really slow. But what we'll also do is. We'll go really slow through the areas that are likely for heavy deer sign, and we'll go a little right. bit faster to get through sure. different areas to yeah. those. And I think is he ended up covering like, yeah, four or five miles. Yep. As a sixty-eight year old, that's a little bit, a little bit heavier, right. but but you know, a life a lifetime yeah. uh, still hunter for the most part. So when I hear people being like, "Well, you can't be," what about folks that are getting older? I mean, I, I just got to tell them that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there 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 sure. are other ways to hunt. Um, and well, yeah, and I think important in this too. There's, you know, I, I don't want to. I know you don't either. You know, impugn yeah. anyone's ethics. You know, right. I, I, you know, at the point at which it was allowable, fine. You know, yeah. I, you know, different uh, different strokes, different folks, what have it. You know, I, I get that. You know, I, I get, I get how baiting became popular. I, I, I understand that from from my roots. You know, in starting this, and that, you know, if all you have is a forty, or an eighty. Or whatever size section of land you happen to be hunting with your family and friends, and you've got four or five folks who are going to be on that, you know, 40, 60, 80, whatever size piece of property, you aren't going to be wandering through those woods. You, you got to be somewhat more sedentary. And if you don't have the time and the resources to set in food plots or create lanes or other things, you got to figure out how to bring them to you. You know, and you don't necessarily have the time to scout or you don't have the ability to public land access. If you're in southern Michigan, we don't have that, that same 
dynamic kind of public land opportunity you have further north. Um, you know, all these things factor into the, the to, to, to why baiting became popular and, and why it still has a certain hold on a number of, yeah. our, of our hunters here in the state. And I get that. I, I 100% get that. That, that. that was, like I said, that was my roots growing up. Um, you know, we hunted 80. You know, we had an 80 acre parcel in hawks. Uh, there was, you know, between four and six of us that hunted it. It was perfectly safe. You know, it was fully wooded. You know, you had your individual shooting lanes. That you, you were shooting in, in directions that, and you knew kind of where others were going to be. But at the same time, you weren't, you weren't scouting. You weren't walking. You weren't, that was four hours from home. You might get up there the day before our opener and you'd, you'd, you'd hit the woods. Uh, and, and so in that scenario, it, it, it's very hard to, to, to tell someone who's baited for the last 20 years that they just can't today. Now that said, they told them last said, year. That they told them last year, but but also they're, they're, yeah, they would, this year. They this, would this is not a, this is not a yeah. hunting ethics discussion. If, right. if this was a purely hunting ethics discussion, I think that that those are all perfectly viable and and, and reasonable discussion topics. We're 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 we've moved beyond that. This is now wildlife disease kind of wild health perspective. Whether it was bovine tuberculosis and then you know back in the seventies or the nineties. Um, or now with chronic wasting disease, you know, the, the, the ethics kind of take a bit of a back seat to that, to now kind of concentrating on the wildfire that is chronic wasting disease, making sure it doesn't burn over the state. And in any one tactic of hunting, anyone, and, and it could be still hunting, if, if there was some way that you're telling me still hunting increases the risk of spreading disease, I would reluctantly sit in a tree stand. I would, you know, you'd hear about it. But but I would I even we brought, all know you're a wallflower, Drew. Yeah. By the way, I actually brought my climber out into the woods, and I was like, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hunt out of my climber. I'm gonna find a good tree. There's a certain spot that I think is a good sign. I'm gonna I'm gonna hang it up there. I'm gonna sit still for the evening hunt. Man, I left that climber at the base of the tree, and I'm gonna <laughs> still hunt. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I just can't. But yeah, if 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 you brought the same kind of scientific evidence that is out there that shows that baiting increases the risk of spread of disease. And you told me that my tactic that I used did the same thing. I wouldn't like it, but I would sit in a tree. You, you know, um, I, I just would. I, would. I would have to scout out preseason where the food sources are, where the bedding is, where those lanes are in between. I mean, I, I do that anyways. But, you know, when you're talking about baiting, what you're talking about is being able to hunt over a food source mm-hmm. without locating the natural food sources. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what is your substitute? You got to do a little bit extra. You got to locate the natural food sources or if you have the resources, create them. Right. Um, so it's a little extra work, but understand that it is for the future health of the thing that we're all out there to hunt for now and into future generations. So where that stands now... Um, the legislature has passed it, uh, passed the House, passed the Senate. Uh, I think the House still has to concur in it, unless they did that on Thursday when I was at Deer Camp. Um, I did see, yeah. But, but then it has to get signed by the governor. Indications are she's not in support of it. The DNR is definitely opposed to it. And so it's kind of up to Governor Gresham Whitmer to veto that, um, not to stick it to hunters. She's got to veto that to help hunters, to preserve the future of our deer herd that supports hunting in, mm-hmm. in Michigan. Um, and, and that's where we like to see this. Of course, our affiliate Michigan United Conservation Clubs has, has been the, the absolute leader on this. They've organized uh, other groups in, in support of this, um, including Farm Bureau even, uh, Quality Deer Management Association, um, National Wildlife Federation. 
uh, Ducks Unlimited, you know, in, in all these different groups, um, not just because of the baiting, um, actually most of them, despite the baiting thing, but because of Proposal G, because it is politicizing an issue that should be made uh, by, by professional wildlife biologists. And actually, I don't know if you know this, back in 1996, the National Wildlife Federation passed a resolution um, that, that held up Michigan's Natural Resources Commission as a model for other states. And, and the That's resolution said that we support scientific <laughs> wildlife management uh, made by professional wildlife biologists through citizens commissions like Michigan's. And for those states that don't already have those, they ought to adopt them. There um, you go. And that was that same year for the same reason. So that's, uh, you know, we always talk about when NWF gets involved in an issue, our state affiliates like Minnesota Conservation uh, Federation, like uh, Wisconsin Wildlife Federation, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, all those different state affiliates that are independent get together and set our policy. And back in 1996, they got together and set that policy. And that's why we wade into issues like this now when they arise. Sure. Sure. The other dynamic to this that, 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 you know, I mentioned before, just the whole, you know, my hunting camp, your hunting camp, all of our hunting camps are getting older, you know, we're getting smaller, um, is that R3 component that, that recruit, retain, reactivate, you know, new, old, just generally bring people to the sport. Um, you know, there, there's a baiting issue there too, you know, and then that, you know, if, if, if many folks feel that if you're seeing less deer, people aren't going to want to be in the woods. Um, you know, I would argue, I'd hope that that you know deer hunting is so much more than than seeing you know 10 deer at the pile in front of you that it, it's the experience of being in the woods the experience of being with your dad being with your uncle being with your mom being with your aunt whoever it might be that that's taking you into the woods um you know being able to pull the triggers is just icing on the cake uh and and my hope is that we're going to work extra hard you know just as hard you know drew you myself you know our colleagues to, to getting new folks and out into the field you know next year when my son's 10 years old and able to join us um it's not going to be behind a bait pile but but it will be in the woods with me, and and so um, you know I guess I would I would challenge you know the, the listeners and, and each of us here to, to try to figure out how to bring more folks into the woods um, to to kind of counteract that uh, that unfortunate slide we've gotten in license sales. Yeah, well, and not only that, but if you're hunting, um, don't just buy one license. Yeah. Uh, you know I I didn't get any deer this year, unfortunately. Uh, season's not over. I may yet get out again, although I I don't know. Um, Thanksgiving weekend would really be my only opportunity, and that's that's a discussion yet to be had. Um, but but I bought three. Hope, hope your wife's not listening. <laughs> she doesn't listen. Yes. Um. But you know, I, I bought three licenses. I bought the combination tag in Michigan, which is um, two antler tags, one mm-hmm. restricted four plus, one unrestricted. Um, that can be any antlered uh, buck, any antlered deer. Um, and, and I also drew a public land antlerless tag for the, for the county where I hunt. Um, and so I bought three licenses mm-hmm. and, um, you know, they say, okay, we're losing licenses. Okay. But I just bought three. So I'm, I'm making up for at least one or two other people where that conservation funding comes in. So if you are a hunter, um, you know, give yourself more opportunity by, by as many licenses as you're able to legally. Um, not all states yes. have that and, and, you know, what you're allowed to, but, you know, you can help make up for some of the conservation funding as, as an individual hunter by stepping up and kind of making up for some of the loss that we're seeing as well. Sounds good. Well, uh, congratulations on your dough. Thank uh, you. I, I envy the venison that you're going to have in your freezer. I so hope to get She's hanging in the garage here. right now. That's what we'll be doing tonight. Because it's going to take a lot, a lot of squirrels this winter to try to make up for a whole deer um, <laughs> with, with those coppers. I think you're up for the task. but... 
we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, this has been the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast. Uh, my guest has been Jason Dinsmore, Director of Conservation Partnerships uh, for the Northern Great Lakes um, states of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan uh, for the National Wildlife Federation. And as always, the National Wildlife Federation Outdoors Podcast is supported by Rep Your Water, their 3% for conservation commitment, and their help for our office to help stop Asian carp from getting into the Great Lakes. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.